Hey, thank you for listening. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? I have over 130 different videos. I have videos with more scary stories told in the rain, scary stories by a crackling fire, and I also have videos that are less relaxing and more on the scary side. Go check it out, and please don't forget to subscribe. In the YouTube search bar, just type being scared. All right, catch you later. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I was a park ranger on a small island, the only year-round resident. Private boat access only with no bridge or ferries. It became crowded in the summer, but we would empty out completely when the weather turned. I loved the off-season, with 400 acres all to myself. No phone, no internet. Sometimes, though, I would get bored. I'd go out at night with a flashlight and challenge myself to hike the entire island in the dark. There was moonlight to navigate by, but there was also a stretch of the main trail that passed through the oldest trees on the island where I'd be plunged into total darkness. I was in the old forest one night when I heard something behind me. I turned. Nothing there turned back and something brushed my face my stomach dropped and I swung my fist into something I ran full tilt for a hundred yards stomping my boots with my gun belt bouncing up and down my vest riding up to saw my throat I stopped and bent over with a stitch in my side and started breathing heavily I held my hand in front of my eyes and ran my fingers over the prickled cut from the branch I had punched. Through the spread fingers of my injured hand, I saw a smear of bright white off trail ahead. I figured it was one of a small herd of white-rumped deer the locals wrongfully referred to as Palominos. But it moved up a side trail before I could get a better look. I got my breath under control and followed. A hundred feet up the side trail, it split again, and I could hear something moving through the underbrush, just past the fork and to the right. I crouched as I made my way to the fork and stayed low trying to keep quiet and unseen. The trail gains elevation as it nears the center of the island, where the trees spread out and the moon lights things up. I heard a sharp bark and froze then crept forward a few feet. I reached the fork and was straining to see ahead when I heard a crunch and a crack of something in the brush behind me. I spun and saw a pale man about six feet tall with dark hair wearing a bright white t-shirt about 30 feet away from me. 
He gave me a grin that can only be described as psychotic. He barked again, and then ran off into the woods. I stood still, scanning the trees, my hand on my gun. After not hearing anything for a few moments, I backtracked my way to the main trail. Then, terrified, speed walked all the way back to my cabin. I hiked the exterior again that night, with a flashlight this time, and checked the coast for evidence of any visitor, boater, or wayward traveler. Nothing. I got up early morning, and in the light of the day, I did the same with the same result. I don't know who it could have been. The way he was running around off trail convinced me that he knew the island very well, better than me, and that he was hiding out somewhere. But I never found him. I never found any evidence of a secret lair, and I never saw him again. We hiked about five miles into a small lake and set up camp on a small beach. This was not a heavily trafficked area and we did not expect to run into anyone. Our first night there, as we were sitting around the fire, we saw a flashlight moving on the other side of the lake around 10.30. This was fairly unusual, however, we did not think too much of it, but as time went on, this flashlight kept moving around the lake, getting closer to our campsite. Once it was clear that the person or people were heading for our campsite, we moved off into the woods nearby to see who wandered up. Now, the moment of truth. The flashlight comes near the light of our fire, and it is one man. He has a beard and is probably in his mid-forties, the scary part, he was carrying what looked to be a shotgun. He walked around the campsite a few times and then proceeded to enter our tent. After rummaging around for a minute or so, he came out and started yelling, I know you're out there. Why don't you come and say hello? My friend and I remained motionless under a hemlock tree about 50 yards away. That is when the man proceeded to fire his shotgun into the woods. He also swung his flashlight around several times. After what felt like hours, he grabbed my friend's backpack and a few articles of clothing we had drying off near the fire and threw them in to burn. Thankfully, the man moved off after a little while. We waited until his flashlight was on the other side of the lake. When it disappeared... We grabbed everything we could fit in my pack and took off. It was about two or three in the morning. We immediately went to the police department and reported it, where we also spoke with some forest rangers. That was it. I haven't heard anything back from the police yet. Who knows what the man would have done if we hadn't run into the woods to hide. I was camping, and I had brought a Kodak disposable camera with me on the trip. 
I wanted to get my pictures developed as soon as I could because I was eager to show my friends and family the wildlife and gorgeous views I had seen on my camping trip. After a couple of days, I got a call from Costco where my pictures were being developed that I could come and pick them up. I didn't have the patience to wait to see all the pictures, so I opened the package up as soon as I got into my car. They had come out amazing. And then I got to the last set of pictures. There were ten pictures I did not remember taking. There's no way I could have took them. The pictures were of me. Sleeping. In my tent. Somebody was in my tent. A few years ago, I was backpacking in eastern Washington with some friends of mine. I don't know how well you guys know eastern Washington, but it is pretty much dust, sagebrush, and dirt. We decided to hike up onto the top of this canyon, and from up there, you could see the miles and miles of straight nothing. After a few hours of traversing the top of the cliff, we eventually found a little crevice that kind of took us a little ways underground into a pretty decent-sized cave. The cave was filled with little bones, like mice and bats. In one of the corners of the cave, there was a rock fixture that jutted up from the ground and almost made a separate room, so to speak. In the room, we found lots of scratches on the walls, photographs, and three bottles with notes in them. While this was kind of off-putting on its own, we figured it was just some sort of joke and we'd find some silly SOS notes in the bottles or something. The scariest part about it all was the photographs were super ordinary of families and normal looking people and two of the notes in the bottles made no sense at all. While it was in English, it was pretty much straight gibberish. None of the words made sense in context with the other words. The third bottle had a super ordinary letter talking about what they'd been up to. Something you would send to a fairly distant relative after not talking with them for a while. I don't really know what to think of it all. I feel like it could easily have been someone just joking around. But it was almost too strange for that. It was just me and my buddy backpacking. After hiking all day, we found a good spot next to the creek to set up the tent before it got dark. We got everything set up, made a fire, cooked some food, then sat around and talked before going to sleep. My point here is that we had spent a good amount of time in the area and should have seen anything weird laying around. I was first to wake up and leave the tent in the morning. We set it up with the door facing the creek. The first thing I saw when I unzipped the door was a blue, dirty, stuffed bear. It looked like an old Care Bear, sitting on a rock next to the creek. It was positioned, sitting up and facing our tent. Obviously, at that point, I was freaking out. I woke my buddy up, 
who was equally as freaked out when he saw it. No way my friend did it either, since I was last asleep and the first awake, and he was just as creeped out as I was. We never heard anything weird that night. No one bothered us, and none of our stuff was messed with. We cut the trip two days short and headed back to the car. Another reason I'm sure he didn't do it. Best explanation I have is that some creeper was watching us from back in the tree line, and we had absolutely no clue, which is a pretty sobering thought. I worked in a psych ward years ago. There was a seven-year-old kid that was sent there once because his mom didn't know what to do with him. It was a sadly common thing to happen, even if the kids don't have psych issues. The mom was shaking and crying, and they had to take the kid into another room. She was genuinely afraid of her own son. She had suspected something was wrong when she kept finding mutilated animals in the backyard but never heard or saw coyotes or anything around that could have done it. The neighbor's smaller pets started to disappear. The boy had an obsession with knives, hiding them around the house, denying anything when the mom confronted him. Then, when the two started getting into arguments, he would get really violent and hit her, push her down and kick her, threatened to kill her. On multiple occasions, she woke up in the middle of the night, with him standing beside her bed, staring her in the face. She put extra locks on her bedroom door to feel safe while she slept. The last straw was when she lifted up his mattress and found knives everywhere. That's when she brought him to us. I remember talking to him, treating him like he was just any other kid that came through. He seemed remarkably normal, until you spoke directly to him. He had this way of looking right through you, or maybe like he didn't see you at all while you were speaking. He would respond like a robot, like he was just saying words because that's what we wanted to hear. And he always put on this creepy, dead-looking smile, like all mouth and no eye involvement in the smile at all, especially when he would get away with something, like taking another kid's markers and they couldn't figure it out. It still gives me the chills laying here thinking about him. I actually had to just get up and close my bedroom door. That year, I believe I met a seven-year-old psychopath. A good friend of mine was backpacking about 10 years ago when he found a cell phone deep in the woods that was still powered on with half a battery. There was nothing else around it or anyone nearby that it could have belonged to. He found it just far enough off of a trail that it very likely could have been thrown there. The last number dialed was 911. He turned the cell phone into police, 
but nothing ever came of it. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Nothing I can say can possibly describe the year I worked in psychiatric intensive care. There was a woman that came in and sat down across the table from me with her admission interview. She had bandages all over her arms and scotch tape over her mouth and ears. She looked very uncomfortable and wouldn't really sit still. When the nurse would ask her a question, she would peel the corner of the tape back and answer and then stick the tape back on really fast. We eventually found out that she saw and felt bugs crawling all over her all the time. They were trying to get inside her body, according to her. The tape was to keep the bugs out. The bandages were because some bugs got in, and she had to dig them out. She couldn't sit still because she felt the bugs all over her, even while we sat and talked. The worst part was, she had some idea that it was her mind playing tricks on her. Can you imagine going through your life feeling like someone is continuously dumping buckets of cockroaches on your head, feeling like they're all over you and getting inside of you to the point that you're digging chunks out of your own flesh in a panic, all while knowing intellectually that none of it is real. I'm a train conductor. One time in the middle of the night, in the middle of winter, it was 10 degrees and a foot of snow on the ground. My train went into emergency. I had to walk the length of the train to see what the problem was. The train was right in the middle of a very small town. As I'm walking by one of the houses on the outskirts of this town, I see a guy standing in a driveway about 50 feet away from me, wearing a trench coat. The first thing that struck me as odd is that it was way too cold to be wearing just a trench coat. I shine my lantern on the guy and wave. Nothing. The guy doesn't even move. I continue walking past the guy to the end of the train while looking back very often. I get to the end, turn around, and head back. I get back to the house where this guy is standing, and he is still there, in the same place, in the same position. I don't say anything this time. I just speed walk back to the head of the train. The next day I'm taking a train back home during the day. I'm paying special attention to this house as we go by it. There is nothing there. The driveway isn't shoveled. Nothing is there that could have been mistaken for a guy in a trench coat. 
I have since been by this house dozens of times, and I have never seen a car parked there, or a light on, or anything at all. This is not my story, but a good friend of mine. He was the youngest recruit to pass police training in his area for a long time. At 19 years old, he was fresh onto the service. I went for a pint with him a week later, and you could tell he had seen things. So I asked him what was it like. He told me about one incident where they were called to a domestic dispute. They got to the house and opened the door. Instantly, a whole load of sewer rats, not pet rats, flooded out of the house, and there was no one home. The lights were on, the TV was on, and the loud voices they heard arguing were gone. The only life there was the rats that ran out of the house. They searched the house, every nook and cranny, and found no one. He and his partner for the evening stayed around a while and waited to see if anyone came home. But after a few hours, no one came. The neighbors couldn't even explain it. So they left. A few minutes later, they got called to the same address again by a different person stating there's a pretty heated domestic dispute going on. This time, they brought the dog squad to find people but again, the house was deserted. He said the scariest thing was that the toilet had blatantly just been flushed when they got there, as the tank was filling and the kettle was now boiling. The dogs found nothing as well. To this day, he has no explanation for that incident. This story takes place in August of 2013 in the mountains of Southern Oregon. I am a USAF Security Forces Airman, which is a military policeman. My girlfriend was at work, and as a swelteringly hot day began to turn into thunderstorms, my buddy Nick, another military cop, and I decided to go explore some back roads and get out of the heat in town. Southern Oregon is crisscrossed with logging roads, some actively used, and many totally forgotten and grown over. Nick and I spent many of our days off starting on roads that we knew, finding roads we didn't know, driving for hours into the mountains, eventually navigating back to paved roads. On this particular day, with storm clouds building over the mountains, we set off on a road we had never been on before and began the drive into the mountains. After driving for about an hour, we hadn't seen nor heard any signs of other people in the woods. We rounded a bend in the thick fir woods and emerged in a meadow that was totally surrounded by thick aspen groves. The meadow was perfectly flat and eerily still. We both noticed the strange stillness almost immediately. No birds, 
hardly any insect noise, no squirrels, and certainly no other people. On the far side of the meadow, right at the edge of the tree line, there was a picnic table. It was painted bright orange and was much larger than a typical picnic table in a park. Remarking on this, Nick drove through the meadow to get a closer look. I remember being apprehensive as we approached. The whole scenario was exceptionally strange. The overall silence of the Aspen Grove was unsettling. Also, it was nearly impossible to see far into the trees as aspens grow extremely close together. When we parked by the table, I hopped out of the passenger seat of the truck to go check it out. I'm not very tall, only about 5'5". Five five. Regardless, the table was ridiculously oversized and practically unusable. The seats were nearly at chest level, meaning I would have to climb up to even sit on them. As I was looking at the table, Nick called me over to the truck, and I noticed he was looking back into the Aspens. At first, I couldn't see what he was looking at, but then I noticed a splash of color that was completely out of place in the thick trees. A small, one-man tent was set back in the trees, about fifty feet from the strange table. I had an initial feeling of dread and felt certain that there was someone in the tent, and if we could see the tent, they could see us. There were no campgrounds in this area, no people, no main roads for miles. Surely someone camping so remotely would be, at the very least, a strange person. However, as we observed the tent, we didn't see any movement or hear any sounds coming from it. Nick suggested I call out. I didn't want to, but I did. Hey, anyone in there? No reply. Feeling completely on edge, Nick and I thought about driving away and leaving this strange area. But we began to fear the worst. What if there was a body in the tent? What if somebody had gotten kidnapped? Foolish, I know, but we thought it all the same. After some debate, we decided to have Nick turn the truck around to drive away from the camp. Should we need to leave in a hurry, he would be waiting behind the wheel. With my heart pounding, I started walking through the trees toward the tent. I was totally keyed up with my senses on full alert. When I reached the campsite, several things struck me as odd. Backpacks were scattered all over the place. No fire had been built. No wood collected. The tent was literally full of backpacks and women's clothing. Full of dread, I turned to leave and tell Nick what I had seen. As I left, I heard Nick start yelling, Let's go! Let's get out of here! Not knowing why he was yelling, I ran back to the truck. 
when I broke out of the trees, I saw a beat-up old Ford Taurus on the road, blocking us from leaving the meadow. I immediately leapt into the passenger seat, and Nick floored the gas pedal. The car was occupied by two men. A third person was laying against the window in the back. As we drove across the meadow, the driver attempted to block us from the road, but Nick drove around them and accelerated the way he had come from. I looked back and saw the car attempting to turn around on the narrow road. Nick drove like a madman, and though I was honestly terrified that they would catch up, we hit the highway without seeing the car again. I still do not know if the person in the back was male or female. I called the state police, and they promised to send a trooper out to check out the scene. However, I received a call the next day from a trooper stating that the campsite, the backpacks, and the women's clothing were not there. The strange table was still by the thick aspen grove. I have not returned to this area and do not intend to. Dispatch gets a call from an older couple reporting there's a man standing in their backyard. It's later in the evening and obviously the older couple is freaked out a bit. Several officers show up including my friend and split into two groups heading around either side of the house. As they emerge in the backyard, guns drawn, they see the suspect and promptly order him to get on the ground, face first, hands behind his head. As they draw closer, he's not responding, and they realize he hasn't moved at all. Rewind two hours. The suspect had robbed a 7-Eleven or something like that down the road and taken off on foot. As he entered the neighborhood, he tried to cut through this older couple's backyard. When he went to hop the fence in the back, he slipped and impaled himself on a fence post. He couldn't pull himself off, and it was his own body weight slowly that drove him down onto the post. It had entered at his groin and went straight up to his shoulder. He was literally a human scarecrow. I am a police officer, and this one time I went out on a call of a suspicious person at a house near where I was at. When I get there, the guy tells me that someone knocked on his door and when he went to see who it was, there was a woman standing in his driveway with some sort of child-sized doll with horns, and it looked like all bloody and cut up. So he asked the woman, who was looking away from him, what she wanted. She turned around and told him, It needs food. And then started screaming at the top of her lungs and ran at him. So like a normal human being, he slammed the door in her face and called the cops. I get there, and there are well-defined claw marks on his door. There's also a good bit of blood, I suppose from her fingers. 
so I call it out and start the search on foot. I also had two or three units driving around the area to see if they can't find this woman. So I'm about a block away, and we get another call that the woman is back at the guy's house, but in the backyard. So I run about a block back to the guy's house and bust into his backyard. The lights are out, so I have my flashlight out and I'm looking around. I see the woman huddled in the corner next to the evil-looking doll thing, and I ask her if she's okay. She doesn't say anything. About this time, one of my mobile units came back to the house and parked his car where the headlights were shining on her, so we could see how scary this woman looked. She had long black hair. Her clothes were rags. She had no shoes clearly homeless, and she kept whispering things to the doll. So my buddy and I approached and tried talking to her, and she just kept whispering to the doll. Couldn't understand what the hell she was saying, so we decided to drag her out of there. The second we put hands on this woman, she went berserk, punching, kicking, slapping. So we're fighting with her, trying to get her on the ground, and she's not going down. This woman was incredibly strong. In the fight, she somehow got away from us and was sitting in a crouched position with her head tilted to the side, making the creepiest growl snarling sound I've ever heard. Then she screams at the top of her lungs and charges at us. So my buddy straight jabbed her in the face and knocked her clean out. We handcuffed her and hauled her off to the hospital, where she tested positive for PCP. She was charged with battery of a peace officer, resisting arrest and trespassing. Later, she was institutionalized for some sort of mental disorder. Not sure quite what it was. My department didn't have anything more to do with her after that, and we never saw her again. In college, I spent one month house-sitting a large hunting estate in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, where the nearest town was 22 miles away. It was June, 1987. I know it was 87 because it was the baseball season after the Bill Buckner disaster. My girlfriend's parents owned the place in Idaho. I'm not going to say what town it was 22 miles away from, because they might still own it and I don't want this to get any more weird than it already is. It was a pretty big place with a lot of acreage. The guy who was the full-time caretaker for the place had just quit. My girlfriend's dad went out there to find a new caretaker, but the new caretaker couldn't start for a month. Her dad offered to pay me $1,200 to go out there. Free food, satellite TV one of those huge satellite dishes from back then, and free booze. All I had to do was keep an eye on the place and feed the dogs and the horse. I had never been out west, so I took him up on it. It sounded better than doing landscaping. I spent the time reading and exploring, playing with the dogs, riding the horse, and shooting. 
completely uneventful experience until one night. I woke up to the sound of someone knocking loud and hard on the front door and the dogs were going nuts. No way I was going to answer it. I just grabbed the gun and kept quiet upstairs. After the knocking stopped and dogs stopped barking, I eventually went back to sleep. I didn't freak out all that much because there were two German shepherds inside with me and I had a gun. I kept it on the nightstand. I had been drinking a little but was not drunk by any means. There were several neighbors a few miles away so I thought someone just simply drove up the wrong driveway. The next morning at the crack of dawn I open the front door to let the dogs out and I see a white Chevy Nova sitting in the driveway near the small cabin for the caretaker. The cabin was about 100 yards from the main house. I called my girlfriend's dad and asked him if he knew anyone with that car and told him about what had happened the night before. He didn't know anyone and he called the police directly. The police show up ask me a few questions, and walk around the property for about an hour or so. The car was locked. The police had it towed. I have no idea if it was broken down or not. There was only one set of tire tracks coming in to the house. A few days later, my girlfriend's dad called me up to say the guy who owned that car was missing and to call the police if anything weird happened again. I have no idea who the guy was at all. I don't know how long he was missing, or when he was reported missing, or who reported him missing. My girlfriend's dad didn't know that much. After one month, I go back home. The girlfriend and I break up shortly thereafter. I see her out on the town several months later, and I ask her if she ever found out what happened to that guy. All she knows is that the guy was found dead about 30 miles away. I asked her how he died, and she said she had no idea. I never saw her again after that, and I still think about this all the time. I have no idea if it was him knocking on the house that night, or someone else. Not knowing will drive me crazy for the rest of my life. So this happened three years ago when I was living with my parents in Wyoming, in a secluded area. It was Halloween, and my parents decorated the house, and we expected about three to four kids to show up, as the house is about a mile from a subdivision, and parents usually drive their kids. At 8 o'clock p.m., I took in the chair with candy, because I figured no one else would be coming around. I was in the basement where there were no windows and very little sound could get out. It was about 11 p.m. now. All the lights upstairs were shut off as I went to bed. I heard a knock at the side door, which no one ever goes to outside. I headed upstairs and the floodlight which usually turns on automatically wasn't on at all. 
so I flipped on the other light that lights up the basketball hoop area. There was a person in one of those old man masks that have the crazy hair just standing there, just looking at the house. He sprinted to the back where the patio was, and I heard a loud banging on the back windows. Honestly, the loudest kicking I've ever heard. I rushed over and the person was just staring through the glass. Then, he ran away and I didn't hear anything for about five minutes or so. Then, I start hearing the knob to the main front door being forcefully jiggled back and forth. I ran upstairs to the bedroom and went to the crawl space in the attic, immediately dialing 911. This was the first time I had ever dialed 911, so I didn't know what I was expecting, but the operator didn't seem to be very shocked or wanting to send out a car very quickly. I repeated my address like 12 times, and the lady kept saying, Calm down, sir. She wanted me to stay on the line, but I was afraid if the guy got in, he would know where I was because of my voice. I hung up, and I could hear the knob being slammed like he had a hammer or something. I have a full-on panic attack, and I was wheezing, trying to get air. Then I heard the side door, the original door, being kicked super hard. At this point, I shook so badly the dust from the floorboards flew up in the air. I heard a window smash, and I immediately knew he was going to get in. I held my breath, which makes the wheezing worse. I was listening to hear footsteps or anything. Nothing. The actual amount of time I spent up there was around 16 minutes, though I swear it felt like hours. An officer showed up and pounded on the door. I ran downstairs and flipped open the door. I told them everything as well as the backup sheriffs that got there. They all kept saying a friend was probably just trying to scare me. I had no friends in Wyoming. None. They looked around the house and wrote down some notes, but nothing really happened. They left, and I drove behind them to Cody, Wyoming, and got a hotel room. I still can't sleep without all the lights on and a 45 on my dresser. A few years ago, a group of friends and I learned about an abandoned local cemetery. We go during the day to check it out. There are about 30 or so gravestones, ranging from 80 years old all the way down to a five-year-old girl. The newest grave is at least 70 years old. Living in a young town, I realize many suburbs bear the names of these same gravestones. We decide to return later on at night and play hide-and-seek. When we arrive after dark, my perception of the area totally changes. What was scenic and sort of sad earlier now feels scary. All the graves are partially hidden by long grass, and large, dead trees surround the area. We pick someone to be it, and proceed to hide. I don't hide particularly well, 
but I remain unfound for some time. So I lie near a fence in the long grass, playing on my phone. After about ten minutes, I hear some grass around me move. This is Australia, so there's a chance it is, and who am I kidding, it definitely is, something that could kill me. So I move into a more defendable position, yet stay hidden. This new position puts my back to a gravestone. Another few minutes pass, as the wind picks up and the temperature drops by a few degrees, I swear, I feel someone touch my shoulder. The voice of a little girl whispers next to me. You're it. Needless to say, I freak and scream, which also freaks out my friends. After a brief explanation of what happened, we quickly relocate to the entrance of the area to make sure everyone got out. The gate is downhill of the graves, so looking up, they're silhouetted. When we confirm everyone is there, one of the other guys grabs my arm and points up the hill. And I kid you not, we see a little girl standing by a tree, staring at us. Fastest I have ever run in my life. My best friend and I were at her house, chilling in the computer room. We heard a huge thump come from her room above us, like a heavy thud. We looked at each other, confused. All of her siblings were downstairs with us. We decided, screw it, let's check it out. We grabbed some airsoft guns, a bat, and she picked up a bag of bagels. We get upstairs. Her bedroom door was open, which was no big deal until we saw her oak dresser move about a foot. She yelped and pointed at something. So I looked. There was a girl under her bed. Not her sister. Just some girl. She threw the bag of bagels at her, and we booked our asses downstairs. We came back with my friend's parents, and the mysterious girl was gone. To this day, we have no idea who it was or why she was there. Fifteen years ago, I went camping with two school friends in bushland that backed onto my dad's property in Australia. My dad didn't spend much time at the house but said we could use it as a base to dump any gear we might not need. He also gave me a heads up that he might creep up to our campsite that night and scare the guys I was with. We hiked from the house for about five hours through very dense brush where we found a clearing and decided to set up camp. Looking around the place for firewood, we kept turning up a lot of old bones, some so old they almost looked like wood. We concluded that due to the land once being used for farming, it was likely they were cow bones. We came up with a few more theories for the sake of scaring each other and then built our fire. Even burning a couple of the wood-like bones just to see what would happen and settled in. 
I was woken up by one of my buddies at about 1 a.m. who said he swears he saw a torchlight on the tent wall. Great, I thought. We sat in silence for a few minutes before the light came back. This was great. I really hammed it up, making up stories about murders in the area and escaped prisoners. The light from the torch fixed on our tent and then switched off. We could hear leaves and sticks moving around outside, and my buddies were on the verge of tears. Then we started hearing whispering outside, as well as some low mumbling. Dad had brought some friends in on the prank? Dedicated. The torchlight came back on, and pressed right up to the tent wall, and a hand began tapping across the top while the whispering continued. My dad had brought some friends in on the prank and convinced them to walk four hours through dense scrub in the middle of the night just to shine a torch on our tent. I started to panic. Then it just stopped completely about an hour after it began. We sat in total silence aside from the sobbing of my buddies and at dawn packed up and left. We got back to the house and dad was there he apologized and said he had planned to come out and see us last night, but fell asleep at his girlfriend's house. We told him about what happened, and he was genuinely dumbfounded. Interestingly, I went back to the spot a couple of years ago after telling this story to a friend. We found a small shack made of iron, pockmarked with bullet holes a 44-gallon drum full of burned clothes, a pile of firewood, and two axes. Who knows if it was related, but it was creepy as hell. <laughs>